Hey, listener, Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, the fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. You can play Pick'em, pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower total in each stat for this week's games for a chance to win big. You can actually win up to 100 times your money in a single night. That's right. I didn't say 10. I didn't say 20. Up to 100 times your money. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick them entry. My favorite feature, you can make rivals picks. Pit two players against each other. Wembenyama versus Nikola Jokic. Tim Hardaway Jr. versus Norm Powell. Kawhi Leonard versus Steph Curry. Who knows? Maybe Grayson Allen versus Pat Connaughton. You get where I'm going with that. You can do it all with Underdog Fantasy. Make sure you sign up today with the promo code DING. That's D-I-N-G. And get your first deposit doubled up to $100 as well as an instant Pick'em special. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our promo code DING, D-I-N-G, to get your first deposit doubled up to $100 as well as an instant Pick'em special. Must be 18 or older and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-522-4700 or visit www.ncpgambling.org. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another fun-filled edition of Black Opinions Matter. My name is Amino Hassan. I'm joined as always by Black Trey, Big Waz, and Big Jerv. And today we got a special guest. I think this might be our first listener guest. Am I right? Like, not a voicemail guest. Nobody remembers. Great. Man, we've <laughs> that's done, we've, I mean, that's the thing. We don't even keep tabs of what number episode this no, is, so I couldn't even tell you. Years <laughs> deep. We are deep as hell into this Black Opinions Matter thing. So deep that Waz actually felt bad about using the Black Opinions Matter name the other day. And I said, wait a second, we're not pandering. This is who we've been. We beat all these people to the trough. <laughs> we did. But uh, I, I'm excited for our next guest today, Miss Lisa, longtime listener, longtime supporter of the entire pod network, longtime supporter of the live shows. And now first time, the fir- how does it feel, Lisa, to be the first listener to be featured on bomb i'm honored and worried i'll screw it up <laughs> no no you can't we, we we have lisa here today because 
couple of things. One was Lisa uh, is the one who suggested that we watch the documentary that we're going to talk about today, Black, White, and Us, which is about transracial adoption in the state of Utah. That is white families adopting black children in the state of Utah. It was an eye-opening documentary I can't wait to talk about. But uh, more importantly, Lisa, you were involved in the sort of kind of institutional change hearing. I won't say change because it hasn't happened yet, but at least they're listening. Uh, where you live locally, which is in Salt Lake City. Isn't that right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, guys. So, so, so tell you, you met with the mayor. You met with the chief of police. Who else was in attendance at that meeting? Um, yeah, so it was organized to be, you know, to meet with yeah the, the Salt Lake police chief as well as um, the mayor and the district attorney, state district attorney, um, and then um, those in attendance about. N- 25 of us, I think, um, you know, it's, you know, the whole spaced out in the chair by yourself with the mass social distancing, um, about, yeah, about 25 of us, um, you know, people, some that are representing specific groups, um, others like myself, that it was just representing ourselves, those that are just concerned citizens, um, you know, people of different backgrounds, whether it be, you know, racial, religious, I mean, no matter what it, what it is, um, but just based off the different experience that people have. Um, and it's an opportunity to one, you know, to share your own experiences and, and why you want to have your voice heard. Um, but then also to, you know, to ask the questions to kind of that panel and kind of have the, the takeaway is to then hold them accountable. How were how you uh, selected to be part of the concerned citizen group? Um, yeah, so I had connected um, with one of the organizers of it, you know, and he's, you know, pretty active in the community. Um, and, you know, he had read a piece that I recently wrote about, you know, my experience in Utah. Um, and he just said, like, hey, if, you know, if you want to be involved in any way, there's lots of opportunities, whether it be from, you know, a criminal justice standpoint, whether it be, you know, you know, specific rights to LGBT, you know, Q, you know, members, I mean, whatever the span is, however, I want to get involved, you know, the invitation was there. Um, and I just was like, you know, I'm, I'm on board for whatever it is. So, yeah. Awesome. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Wes. Yeah, no, I wanted to ask Lisa, um, because I'm not too familiar with the legacy of policing in somewhere like Salt Lake City, right? Like Mm -hmm. the other day I brought up um, that I've rewatched the OJ doc. And the first thing that they do is they lay down the history of LAPD and their treatment of black people. Obviously, I'm born and raised in New York. Amin as well. We've, We've had an extensive experience with NYPD, right? So I don't really know much about Salt Lake City and sort of their history with all of this stuff. What could you tell us about that? Yeah. I mean, as far as some of the data that I've looked at myself, um, I mean, demographics wise, I'd say black people represent about 1% of the population in Utah, just barely. Um, but they do account for 10% of, um, you know, being killed by the police. Wow. So, you know, that's, I mean, especially for there only being 1% of the population and that's been a steady figure over the last 20 years. Ouch. Yeah, I mean, and that's what people are talking about, right? Like a lot of times um, people will throw out just raw numbers of something and be like, well, they killed a lot more white people. But it's like, yeah, but by percentage of the population, like it doesn't even make any sense that, you know, police mortality, I mean, um, police murders would be at 10 percent for um, a population of people that only represents 1 percent. That's that's quite telling, I think. Yeah. 
So, Lisa, you're from California originally. Right. You, you moved to Utah. You live in Utah. You work in Utah. And, you know, you referenced the, the blog post that you put up that was really insightful. Because, again, for, for most of us, we don't know anything about Utah. Like, Utah is a place that I come, I go to a game, I spend the night, and then I leave. And I'm not really um, invested in, like, what's happening there. So uh, for those who didn't read the piece, can you talk a little bit about your experiences as a black woman in Utah? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, the first of it really started when I, I so I attended BYU. Um, you know, I transferred there, gosh, it was like a little over, about, it was 12 years ago. Um, you know, I transferred to BYU and um, it's it's eye-opening, you know, it's a, undergraduates, there's about 30,000 students. Um, but back when I was there, they actually um, recorded, it, they actually published their demographics. Um, the year I graduated, there were only, out of 30,000 undergraduate students, only 112 of us were black. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sheesh. That's like, <laughs> you know, that reaches the level where you kind of know every single black person on campus. Yeah, 100%. However, 112 of us, but they mix us all up and think we're the same person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. All the time I got asked, was I Taylor so-and-so on the cheer squad? Was I Brittany so-and-so on the track team? And I was like, no, I was in the library. I wasn't at the football game. <laughs> so, yeah. I shouldn't be laughing at this. That but reminds me of that pool, the pool scene on the documentary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, yes. Yeah. That's That's a very strong scene where the woman thinks she lost her child because it's the first time she's, she's seen ever seen black her black kids. child in a group of black kids. She didn't know what her kid looked like. <laughs> oh my God. So wild. That is next level. Um, so, all right. So you're, you're in Utah. You, you go, you go to college there. Um, everyone's confusing you. You graduate, you start working. Does how, how does life go from there? As far as, you know, now you're a working woman and you're out, out, kind of living your life. You know what? It's, it's actually great because I think once I finally left BYU and I, um, so I started working with, in finance, working for an investment bank. Um, but I did a short-term assignment in New York. Um, and that was my first experience being involved in, you know, kind of affinity networks within the firm. Um, so, you know, I joined the black network, um, there and it was great and it really helped to give me exposure to having a community, um, especially, you know, in areas that, are not very diverse. <laughs> um, and so it was great for me because I think that it, when I came back to Salt Lake a few months later, being, you know, in New York, um, it kind of helped catapult me to get involved in Salt Lake, whether that be within the firm, um, within the community directly, um, because the community that I had was just the Mormon community. Um, and then that community, I mean, I, of course I, I love my friends. I love the people that I, you know, I'm close to, but that doesn't mean that I didn't experience, <laughs> you know, its own forms of racism. Yeah. Um, um, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I, I'm torn between asking you, I like, I don't want to, you know, pull out scabs or whatever, but do you want to share some of your experiences in sure. Utah, whether overt or otherwise last week on the pod, we talked about what's the most overtly racist thing that's ever happened to you. And like, I, you know, I must say that I don't think I've ever had overt racism. Right. Like a noose or, you know, some of the stories that we heard on the doctor we'll talk about in a second. Um, have you experienced any overt racism? Let's start with that. Um, you know, 
if I have, I think it was one of those things where it was just choose to like, I'm not even going to remember this, you know, like I just, if I do, I know that it's going to just bring me down. And I probably just lumped it into the pile of everything that was covert, (laughs) right. Where it's just like, to me, I'm the one that recognizes whether it's intentional or not. (laughs) Um, you know, so I, I can't name one, you know, off the top of my head, but I think that most of the experiences I've had have been from well-meaning people who thought that they were either paying me a compliment or speaking to me out of concern and love, you know, all people with, you know, good hearts, you know, and this idea that like they couldn't possibly be racist because they have good hearts. (laughs) And so I think that's, that's kind of the battle that I feel like I deal with here in Utah. And I'm, I mean, I'm happy to ask, answer any questions, give specific examples. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of it. <laughs> was there, so, so, oh, go ahead. Go ahead go. Say, was there a time when you actually experienced it and you were like, yo, I'm just going to leave, like, I'm going to pack it um, up and just head back. Yeah. Um, it was a few years ago. Um, I was on a date actually. And, um, and I shared this in the piece that I wrote, but luckily it was at the end of the date, thank goodness. And we had drove separately. Um, but he had, you know, thought he was paying me a compliment and was telling me that, you know, he was excited that we were going on a date and that, you know, I was, I was pretty for a black girl. Wow. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) and he thought it was a compliment (laughs) and I had said like well what do you what do you mean by that he's like well you know like you know just from you know african-americans just they're not really that attractive you know and so you know but like you're you're on like the high end of that and I remember (sighs) thinking like that might be that might be over (laughs) he basically called yeah right he basically called you the tallest person on the short bus (laughs) pretty much and it was I mean, the date itself already wasn't going great, but it was just one of those things where I'm like, he's not even worth me explaining this to. Like, thank goodness the bill's already been paid. I can just walk out. And, you know, we did. It was like, okay, well, good to know. And, you know, left. I blocked him and everything. He threw a fit about it. (laughs) But it was just like, I don't want those those kind of people in my life. And it was hard because I just signed like a brand new lease on an apartment and was like, Man, if this was happened a month ago, I could have just left and gone home. <laughs> I have a question though. Um, between when you first moved out to Utah and now, um, have the demographics of the city changed of Salt Lake changed much, or is it basically the same that it's been since you first moved into the area twelve years ago? Um I don't know. You know, it's hard because being in, so BYU is about an hour South of Salt Lake. Um, so I'm not sure really what the difference is, is down there in Provo where the school is. Um, I know that once I did move to Salt Lake, um, I was surprised at how many black people I saw. And I thought, why didn't I go to the university of Utah where (laughs) (laughs) I would have been surrounded by all of them. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely think it has grown, um, especially there's something out here. It's called Silicon Slopes, you know, so kind of just, you know, just a lot of growing, you know, in the tech space. Um, and because of which it's brought a lot of companies out here like Adobe and others that, you know, that have made Salt Lake their headquarters, as well as in my field working in, you know, in investment banking. A lot of banks are out here, and these are companies that are very focused on diversity and having that representation. So I think that I've seen that numbers grow as the businesses out here have expanded and, and nice. those opportunities have come, um, and people kind of, you know, from all over the country coming out here. So in some ways, yes, but it's still minute <laughs> compared to the overall population. Have you had to be like the uh, 
the uh, the orientation committee for any new black people, like where you have to sit them down <laughs> and like explain to them, look, these are some of the realities that happen around here. You know, it, yeah, it's kind of funny you say that. So when I, um, you know, the first job I had at a school, you know, working for the bank that I was working for, a um, couple of years into it, I ended up moving into the human capital management space, so with an HR. And that was always the thing, you know, from New York, I was, you know, getting from my managers, like, Lisa, why don't we have more diverse applicants? I'm like, because they're not here. <laughs> they're not here to apply. <laughs> I'm only working with what's out here. Uh, and then, you know, as they kind of, you know, reach out to different intern or people from when we had the intern program, you know, they were going to all kinds of diverse schools and then kind of filtering them into the kind of the Salt Lake space. And then some of them, especially as they received offers and they would stay, but that's kind of where I would get involved in the black network. And it's kind of mentoring some of the interns or incoming analysts and just kind of letting them know like, here's where you can get your hair done. <laughs> you know, here's where, <laughs> I mean, just all the, all the things that people want to know or even where to live, um, you know, because their peers are going to tell them, Oh, live in this spot. It's really cool, right, right. but they're going to go there and it's all white, you know? Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just kind of pointing them in the right direction in that sense. And I have a question related to that too, because my only experience with any sort of, I guess, integration is, basically Brooklyn of the last 10, 15 years where you have this influx of people, white people, Asian people moving into tra traditionally black neighborhoods, right? Yeah. Like Clinton Hill, Fort Greene, Bedford Stuyvesant. Um, and, you know, there's sometimes some awkwardness where, you know, <laughs> these people are walking there like they're, they're little lassies through a, a block party in the summer of just all black people. And it's just like that sort of gets, you know, whatever. But, like, for the most part, what you would see is, like, they were just straight up in um, immersing themselves in the neighborhood. You know, the, the South African, new South African restaurant would open it, beat them white people, the first people lining up to get in there. Um, I wonder what the culture is like in Utah as far as, um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, I can't think of anything better than intermingling. Um... I don't know. I mean, I know that we'll, we'll talk about it, but I think it's kind of referenced in the, the documentary about, you know, this idea that like, oh, everyone is a child of God, you know? So <laughs> I think everyone really doesn't feel the need to make this integration or fully embrace certain mm. things as well, um, mm. because it's just, well, why should I? We're all the same, <laughs> you know? So there's kind of that idea. Um, I do know that um, specifically within the Mormon church, I mean, there's different congregations depending on where you live. So you're kind of you know, grouped in with your own community. Um, but there are black members that have kind of formed their own congregation. Um, they refer to it as, as Genesis. And so, you know, that if you are black, no matter where you're living in the state, you know, you can attend there, go to church. And so that way you are surrounded with, you know, people who are just like you and being able to worship in that way. Um, but I don't feel like people are either aware of it White people, you know, is, is what I'm referring to. I don't think they're really aware of it. They're always surprised when they hear, like, what? There is a different congregation? You know, why don't they just do the funds that like, everyone that they live by? <laughs> that it doesn't operate in the same way kind of confuses people. But um, I also, again, we represent 1% of the entire state. And so I don't think that there's this push to have to integrate when everyone around them, especially when they stay in their predominantly white neighborhoods, they don't want to expose themselves to it. 
So, so I mean, it, it's kind of this idea that kind of the more diverse cities or areas of the county are kind of looked down upon or they think they're high crime or, you know, whatever. And they're really not. It's not that bad, <laughs> you know, and like I live right within like half a mile of an area that is predominantly Hispanic. And I feel totally safe. I go on runs throughout the area all the time. Everyone's waving, saying hello. But I hear people that I know being like, what? You live over there? Are you okay? Do you feel like you're safe? I'm like, yeah, I actually feel safer. <laughs> so. Yeah, Trey's shaking his head because he knows it's the same thing in Arizona. They got yeah, parts I mean, of that. Listen, I survived the ghetto only to go be able to walk, go on a walk at 2 a.m. and nobody say anything. That's why I say, if anybody's like, oh, you live over here and you don't live there, I'm like, bro, you don't understand what I beat the odds. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> this is great over here. Y'all don't even understand. It's like, almost you know literally a walk in the park. It's almost literally a walk in the park. I used to tell Waz, I'm like, shit, even though I'm in Beverly Hills, this ain't, it's still close. It's too close. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we could be coming out of somewhere and they'd be like, hey, that's him. <laughs> you know, I don't feel the same. I don't feel the same, man. Yeah, so, Lisa, I want to ask you, uh, going back to that meeting, first mm-hmm. of all, how receptive do you think the powers that be were to the feedback that you guys were giving them? Um, I think that they were pretty receptive. Um, I mean, the mayor's a Democrat in a predominantly Republican area. <laughs> um, so I think for her, I mean, she's kind of, you know, in line with a lot of the opinions and, and experiences that people wanted to share. Um, but that doesn't mean that she's, you know, immune to everything that goes on. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, what I loved about the individuals that were there was very much the idea of like, we're not just sharing our experiences. who can be like, you know, check the box. Like we plan on holding you accountable. Mm. Like we know your name, we know where your office is. If you like, I'm going to follow up with you. Everyone came with notes. They had things that they had to say. And and you could tell that it was, that was not the end of the conversation. And, And so, um, was anyone in the meeting, whether it was one of the, the concerned citizens or one of the uh, officials there, did anyone push back or were they resistant to any of the things that you guys told them? Um, you know, if anything was pushback, I think it was from their perspective, maybe trying to provide some clarity um, on certain situations. So we just had an individual um, a few weeks ago, you know, Hispanic killed by the police and some people, you know, from his community were there saying, hey, we've seen now the body cam footage. How come this is being said? And this happened after the autopsy. Why aren't you talking about it? What's going on? Why are these police officers? Why haven't they been fired? All those questions. Um, and I think that was a thing is, to, you know, the standard. Well, you know, we don't want to do you a disservice by, you know, making sure that, you know, in case we don't have all the information yet, you know, the report's not completed kind of all that information. Um, the other thing, especially it was actually interesting to me and it actually provided a lot of clarity on unions as well, is that the mayor said, one of the things that happens is that when they directly fire these police officers, you know, usually, you know, it's from the public response, what they see happen a lot is having to rehire these same officers Back in the same department. uh Uh-huh. Is because if it doesn't go through the specific process, whether it's being, you know, investigated from 
a different department and how like with the union involved, if they don't follow that specific process, they're almost forced to rehire these officers. Wow. And so, I mean, that was the point. I mean, it was a good point that the mayor made of like, listen, I hate it. I hate having to see when we bring these people back into the force and that's not okay. And so she's like, they haven't been fired yet because the report's not complete, but I'm going to be upset if we do fire him and we're forced to bring him back. Like I want it to be that when we fire him, he's done. Talking about erectile dysfunction, it's not easy. Usually we brush it off, blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost me mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, not those weird supplements that, you know, you might have friends trying to push on you. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet with Roman you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. Medication is appropriate. Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. I didn't hear, you didn't incorrectly hear me. I said it, free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash B-O-M and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash B-O-M to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash B-O-M for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash B-O-M. Your significant other will thank you. That's that's a good segue to this documentary. The idea of people who actually have their intentions and hearts in the right places, and it's just you cut you encounter a system that's bigger than you are, even even the bigger than the mayor. Right. Because um, in the documentary, I, when you first told me about the documentary, Lisa, I thought to myself, "Here we go. Let me see what these crazy ass white people are about to say." And you have the <laughs> The lady who's from the adoption agency who starts off and I'm like, yeah, here we go. I'm rolling my eyes hard. And as I'm watching the documentary, which isn't long, by the way, it's only about um, 75 minutes long. Um, I think my opinion changed and it wasn't as clear as as I thought going in. And I don't know if any of you guys had that experience watching it. Trey, did you feel like that? Did you did your opinion change watching the documentary or, or did you maintain kind of the same mood the whole time? Nah, it was cringeworthy, honestly. Like, yeah. I mean, because especially from an uh, educator side standpoint and, and teaching young kids, um, I have yet to experience that as far as like, because I only had maybe in my six, seven years of teaching, I've only had maybe four black students total. Hmm. So um, I would probably have a no-nonsense tolerance on that. But just the fact that kids are being told that they're going to go to jail or being called monkey or slave master games, like that really was heartbreaking. Um, but to even start it off with the, the, the stat of just saying that Utah leads um, in transracial adoptions was one thing. And it wasn't one of those, huh, why am I surprised? I didn't even know what transracial adoptions were 
you know what I mean, prior to watching it. So it was definitely informative. Um, but then also um, one of those scenarios of that people are really oblivious and naive to some to, to some standpoint where they think that, hey, I did a good gesture, so it fixes all. You know what I mean? Like it got to a point of like, oh, we just wanted a baby. We didn't know that we inherited this part right. also. You right. know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, this is not going to adopt the dog. And then the dog right. becomes in your life for 15 years and then the dog dies. No, that means you're going to invite, you're going to, you know what I mean? Like have comments about your child. You're going to have comments about your friends, certain things that people just won't understand until you're actually in that, in that situation. Like think about having, I think one of them mentioned, uh, one of the, uh, the parents mentioned that knowing the difference between taking their, their child to a normal barbershop, a black barbershop and right. super cuts. Like right, right. that's <laughs> a big deal, bro. Like, again, like everybody's not going to be able to cut the same texture of hair, bro. Like it's, it doesn't work that way. Or just even being in the shoes. Like it was one question that they were asking, like, how does it feel to be you? And she's asking a kid that I think was like 10 years old. And that's an answer that I don't think he's ever going to be able to answer for the rest of his life. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just not explainable. Um, but it was, I don't know, the, the, the term social suicide to adopt a black kid, too, was just like, Ugh. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, at first I was thinking about, like, I won't call it fetishization, but definitely that, like you said, like it's like adopting a puppy, right? Um, and then as you go on, you realize that, you know, I, I believe it's the, the the professor from University of Memphis who did a research project about this. He said, these people ultimately turn into the best allies for, for black people and for equal rights. Because he said, this is what he said, transracial adoptive parents are a captive audience because they want to be there. And he says... Because you need empathy. White people need empathy in order to do this. How do they get the empathy? It comes because they see their child suffering, yeah. right? They see things like, and, and that was the thing that, honestly, I rolled my eyes at many of those couples at the beginning, and by the end, I understood. They may not have understood at the beginning, yeah. but they do now. They're all in now. They're all in because they understand. They get it, right? They, and, and a couple of us say, hey, we've always thought ourselves as progressive people. We love everybody, da 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 And then you realize when your three-year-old gets called a nigga at school, like, wait a second. Or like grown-ups behaving in a certain way. Uh, the, uh, the, the kids were – one kid was playing, like you said, Trey, slave and master. Mm -hmm. And like the parent was like, whoa, no, no, you don't play that. No, that's, not, that's not cool. And the other parent, who was the parent of the white child, was just like, yeah. What's the big idea, you know? Yeah. You know, it's funny, I mean, in that, um, not to relate it to myself, but it does kind of remind me of my own relationship with my girlfriend who's not black. And um this was this was last year, I wanna say. We were driving to I think Mammoth, and um we got stopped by a lady cop. And the woman asked her, she was driving, I was in the passenger seat, I didn't say anything because I'm like, all right, I'm not driving, so it doesn't matter. She asked my girl if there were any weapons in the car. Wow. And, and, and you know, we, whatever, we got off with a warning, kept it pushing, I was like, Tamar, has, have, has a cop ever asked you that before? 
like ever in the history of you get being pulled over. And she was like, no, that's that's the first time. I'm like, yeah, that's that's what it is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That like, but you know, it you have to be put in those situations to make it the lived experience. Um, and people, yeah, man, people do become more empathetic, of course. Um, the kid that the child that you're raising and trying to, you know, turn into a productive adult and give a good life to is, you know, going through trauma on a day-to-day basis, of course that's going to affect even an adoptive parent. That doesn't surprise me at all. Lisa, what was it about this documentary that made you say, see, this is what I got to deal with? <laughs> um, you know what? It's I I hate when it happens, but at the same time, I love to watch people expose themselves. Um, you know, for example, with when Russell Westbrook dealt with, you know, the fan out here yelling things, my whole Twitter timeline, full of jazz fans like, okay, we get it. But like, that's not all jazz fans, you know, (laughs) or, you know, during the, you know, the last dance, you know, it's kind of highlighting some of the issues and Michael's kids were not allowed to come to Utah. People were so upset. They're like, no, but that's not really how Utah is. Not all of us are like this. And then, of course, Donovan Mitchell starts actually posting things. And his comments, the comments on there are just blowing up. And all of a sudden, people are able to see, no, no, no. The good ones, some of you are in the minority. Right. <laughs> or at least, you know, the vocal ones are, are the ones that uh, are giving you know Utah a bad reputation. So I think that with watching the documentary, it became one of those things. I'm like, every single time this has happened, I've tried to say it of like, you might be good, but grandma's not, <laughs> or right. you might be good, but my neighbor's not, you know? And so it was really difficult to get that across. And so it's been interesting, even, you know, with the things that I've written about, I've had friends that I went to school with, they're like, wow, Lisa, I can't believe this. You know, like we lived right next door to each other, or we were in the same class. And in my mind, I thought we were just having the same college experience, you know? And it was like, she's like, I didn't realize that your experience was completely different from mine. So it's kind of with the documentary, it really was, you know, from that for me, where it was just, see, I've been trying to tell you guys for years, no one listens to me because it's like, no, 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 but I'm not like that. I'm like, okay, fine. You may not be, but you're blind to everything else that's happening around you. So one of the things I learned from you was about how Mormonism was not really integrated until the late seventies. And they got into, uh, 1978. 1978, mm-hmm. got into the detail. Ten years after the Civil Rights Movement. Yes, after the Civil Rights Act had, had already, you know, after MLK was shot ten years mm-hmm. later. They're like, you know what, maybe maybe it is. Um, and uh, one of the, the parents on the dock was talking about this and talking about Mormonism has roots in explicit segregation and that Brigham Young, who is the namesake of the university he went to, was a flat-out racist. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Distinctively racist is how he was described. Didn't want blacks to have priesthood, and that Mormonism believed segregation was a theological pillar. Mm-hmm. And the documentarian said that, kind of brought up, oh, it's kind of like when Lincoln freed the slaves. It's not like racism was over the next day; everyone was cool. Like there was no re-education mm-hmm. of yeah. the populace, and so people just continued on with their very racist, white supremacist thought process. And that's com- comparable to what happened with Mormonism when they decided to integrate. Um, By the way, I mean, if that statue comes down, we're going to see some shit. 
Just know that if that shit ever come down, the Brigham Young statue. Listen, do understand that hey, we gonna see some shit if anybody even tried Brigham Young. Well, it was vandalized a couple of weeks ago. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) So 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 let me ask you, how how old were you when you learned like all of this stuff about Brigham Young? Um, specifically about Brigham Young, that was two years ago. Okay. Wow. Dang, that's kind of crazy. Wow. So you 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 went your whole and and I'm assuming you were raised um Mormon. No. You were not. You, no. Um, what you call what is what are you converted? Converted. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, what do you call that when they make the person take the new religion? <laughs> Relax. Relax. <laughs> no, but you know you you see it all the time. Like a Jewish person and a Christian person, they want to get married, and then you know they usually they have to be like, all right, somebody got to convert because my family's traditional or you know whatever. Yo, Trey. Yo, what's up? Yo. Yo, man, you got my money? I don't, man. I'm sorry, man. I get paid the hell, next week, man. though. Next week? What day? I think Friday, man. It's the third, right? Yeah, bro, let me tell you right now, man. I'm going to need my money a lot quicker than that. I'm going to need it by Wednesday. The Wednesday the 1st? Wednesday the 1st is when I need it by. And I'm going to tell you how you can get me that money, even though you don't get paid till Friday. This is what you do, Trey. I want you to go... Download the current app and sign up with current. The deal is, you sign up with your direct deposit, they get you paid up to two days faster and with no hidden fees. How about that? Well, so that means I'll pay you on Wednesday now. Yeah, you're going to get the money on Wednesday and then you can pay me. All right, man. Give me to Wednesday, man. Get off my back. Uh, it's, hey, man. That's, that's all good. As long as you sign up for current, you download that app. You're going to be able to get me my money sooner and have the rest of your money to spend on whatever you want. And guess what, Trey? If you happen to go out, you you fall a little short, they're not going to put you on blast. They're not going to hit you with a crazy $35 overdraft fee like some of them other banks do. No, no, Trey. They're going to give you free overdraft up to $100. That's right. You can go $100 over whatever's in your bank account, and they'll cover it for you with no hidden fees. Guess what? You can also use your your ATM card at over 55,000 free ATMs. And I know what you're thinking, Trey. What am I thinking? How are you going to deposit checks? without a physical bank to go to. Ask me how. Ask me! How? The camera on your damn phone. It allows you to deposit checks, Trey. We live in the future. It's COVID-friendly. It's COVID-friendly. It is the bank account that you need for this day and age when we're not allowed to go outside and mingle like that. Current. It's got the perks like refunding those gas station holds that you get on your card. You don't have to wait to get your money back from the pump. It's a real bank account, people. It's not a prepaid card. It works with Apple Pay, Google Pay, Cash App, and Venmo. Trey, have you downloaded it yet? I know I told you to do that at the beginning. Have you already downloaded it? I have. Did you create a current tag? I did. What is it? B-L-K-T-R-A-Y. Now he can instantly send money for free using his current tag, and you can too. Just sign up. It takes two minutes, and your current card will be shipped to you for free. Download Current now. Get a current black premium card when you go to current.com and enter the promo code BOM. 
That's Current.com, promo code BOM, and get yourself a Current Black Premium card. But that's what I was thinking about. But you said you learned that two two years ago. How did this information even come to you? Um, it was interestingly enough. Like, so okay, so I studied history at BYU. Um, you know, and there were some things I was exposed to. Um, it was I took a church history class, and it was you know, you know, I have like my scriptures. You know, I keep quotes in them and whatnot. And then I'm learning about some of you know the prophets or the apostles. You know, within like the leaders in the church and you know, I'm like, man, these same people whose names lie in the margins of my scriptures mm-hmm. are telling everyone that I'm not okay, <laughs> you know? And, you know, there are things that, you know, I listened to speeches, you know, that were given at BYU, like some, just, you know, out of interest, listening to ones given in the fifties. I'm listening to ones about how like interracial marriage is not okay. Then I start listening. There's ones even to the eighties saying the same thing. And it wasn't removed from documents, you know, policy documents in the church until I think it was 2003 about how interracial wow. marriage, you know, you know, that being okay with it. So how are these, these very sensitive topics about race being handled in this classroom environment? Um, you know, it was diff- it was only something we covered for a couple of weeks, and each time, you know, in class, it was just I kind of was silent, you know, because I think a part of it was like I'm processing it myself, um, and then you, of course you got to be uncomfortable, like, well, I'm the only black person in here, so I know they're just waiting on me to speak, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so <laughs> I remember those feelings. <laughs> And sometimes it's like, I don't want to be the one to talk, you know, because it's like, I don't have the answers. I'm just finding this out too. Um, and people ask, well, what do you think about it? And I hate getting those questions in class because it was like, well, what do you think I think about it? How do you think that I feel with the people who line the margins of my scriptures or who I'm hearing be quoted in church are saying that like, it's not okay for me to marry your son. It's not okay for me to per- fully participate. And even though, sure, institutionally, things, some things may have changed, all those people that were taught those things, because mind you, this wasn't done away with until 1978, right. in racial marriage, those weren't moved from the handbooks until 2003. Oh, yeah, this is all basically fairly alive. new, for sure. It's fairly new. And, and it's a lot of people that still live that way. You know what I mean? Like, even okay. going to school in Iowa... I mean, it's not as predominantly white as BYU, but it was one of those experiences that, like, obviously me coming from Los Angeles, I didn't experience, I didn't, I didn't meet a lot of white people. So playing for white coach, playing with white teammates, that shit was hard because I'm kind of like, well, I'm going to just stick to myself, high five when I have to, I don't even want to ask nobody for a pencil or if they took notes in a particular class, I don't even really want to talk because I just was just so focused on getting there, getting it done and getting it out. But like the fact that, you know, a religion that you had, you know, decided to to, to take on. And then now it's kind of like 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 before we started recording, I was talking about how I feel about Christianity sometimes where I'm on a fence of. You know, sometimes they say, oh, the white Christians are the ones who are the most racist or that Christianity is uh, a white man's uh, form of uh, controlling African-Americans, I mean, Africans and African-Americans during that time. So obviously growing up on this this foundation, you tend to question stuff, not question if there is a higher power, because obviously we came from something, you know what I mean? But 
this white Jesus, this blonde hair, blue eyes uh, figure and not really tap in into like the real history of things. You know what I'm saying? Like I consider the Bible a good book now. Like it's just a book of great stories. I don't resonate it to the same thing. And like now, obviously with you, you know, understanding it and, and taking a step back, you have, you have had to adjust a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, do you feel now, you know, since you didn't get a chance to speak up during those times or not really understand and you, you understand more and more now, is that going to be a part of your your new journey um, as far as, you know, as long as you're there um, to to help? I mean, as, a, as an alumni, too, I think that would be pretty cool um, to kind of tap in with those black students that are coming to your school that have no yeah. clue because... I mean, I, I remember, I think it was Brandon Davies or something like that, mm-hmm. that I think he, what, he had sex. Yeah. He had sex and he was suspended from the team or something like that. And they was just like. It's in the handbook, Trey. No fornicating. Listen, I know. it was. Listen, that's the reason why I didn't go to no school in Utah. Because I just didn't understand the whole thing. And I think I joked around with you the first time I met you. It was like, you know, because I wanted to know the, I was curious about like, was it carbonated sodas like Coca-Cola or Pepsi or something? Like they had some wild rules, right? Uh-huh. And I wasn't even trying to, I wasn't even trying to be funny. I was really curious. And uh, I, I, that's, that's what sticks out to me all the time. It's the Brandon Davies situation. I was just like, this isn't school. Like this is, like I said, in, in, resp- in, in, in respect of it, I, I just don't, I felt like it was cult like honestly, like trying to tell people what to do, this, that, and if you don't, like, you could, you know what I mean? Like, everybody has desires. I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just trying to process that. So, could you, you were, were you in class, when you were in school during that time? Mm-hmm, yeah. Could you share a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is with the things laid out in, it's called the honor code. Um, and the honor code is a little bit more strict than the actual, I guess, kind of standards of the church. Um, you know, one of the main things though is, you know, it's, it's called like, you know, the the law of chastity, you know, and not having sex before marriage. And, um, and that's something that's kind of like a church wide thing, you know, and then that's something that, you know, but like you said, right, everyone has desires, everyone, you know, like, and it's also very reflective. Uh, you have a lot of, you know, kids at BYU. They serve a mission. Young, they come back by twenty twenty one. Now they're married, popping out lots of kids. <laughs> you know, so and, and a lot of times it's kind of like that's the safe route to keep the law of chastity is just get married, start the family, and, and it's encouraged too. Of like that's your role, that's your responsibility. You get married, you have kids, and so it's kind of looked down upon. Even when you graduate from BYU, if you left and you didn't get married, and you know when I mean for me, I didn't grow up in a culture of like I need to get married, go to college to get married. Um, and so I mean I had a two date rule when I went to BYU. It was like you get to take me on two dates, and that's it because I'm not going to marry you. <laughs> So. Oh, wow, that's killer. That's killer, by the way. Uh, I'm looking well, at. Well, I was there to go to school, so it yeah, was like, no, I no. understand. I understand. I was, I was proud of myself when I left. I'm like, I got out of here. I did not get, not get married. I, like, <laughs> I was so proud of myself. One school that was recruiting me, I mean, it was a Bible school, right? Christian Christian college, and they said I forgot the actual name of the school, but the the the, the quote that the theme was basically, you come here to get a ring. And not a not not to not a whole ring, a wedding ring, because dudes were so desperate to like have sex 
that they would just get married. And I was just like, I was like, I could not imagine settling like that. You know know what's funny is Arizona State. They say most of the girls that go to Arizona State are uh, enrolled to get their MRS degree. No, that's what they say at BYU too. You're like yeah. they're literally there just to get married. They, so, they go to like go to college to get married. A lot we have a lot of Mormons too, by the way. That go to yeah, that's true. Too. Lisa, mm-hmm. So I have these rules, um, and I heard some of them have changed. But it says be honest, leave a live a chaste and virtuous life, obey the law and all campus policies, use clean language, respect others, abstain from alcoholic beverages, tobacco, tea, coffee, <laughs> and substance abuse. Um, mm-hmm. participate regularly in church services and observe dress and grooming standards. Right. So you guys could not have tea or coffee. How many of those were you? Oh, I mean, I got my cup of tea, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Imagine drinking tea on drinking tea or, or coffee on the tuck. It reminds me of the oh. Russell Westbrook <laughs> gift where you're trying to like sneak you know, the thing is, is they, I mean, they have changed something. So when I was at BYU, it was no caffeinated beverages. I mean, like I said, the schools, some of the school standards are a little bit more strict than the church standards. Um, and I think it's just because you get all these kids. Why together do you, why do you think that is? Um, I mean, you've got all these kids. It's the first time they're living away from home. So from like a church standpoint, it's just like, okay, well, if we kind of step it up a notch, it helps them to kind of stay in line with what we're asking them to do from a church perspective. Um, because yeah, I mean, they're not, they don't have parents to kind of report into or whatnot. So that's kind of my, my own theory with it. But I mean, some things have changed a little bit. Like, like I said, so when I was there, you couldn't have caffeinated beverages. And so this sounds so like embarrassing to tell this story because it really is that ridiculous. But I used to, we went, my roommates and I, you know, we'd go to Costco and we'd get, you know, Diet Coke. We like Diet Coke. Going up to campus, especially up to the library, especially if I knew I was going to be there late, I would like stuff my backpack with like cans of Diet Coke. <laughs> and you can't have <laughs> caffeine Mother- on campus. Imagine living on the edge for Diet Coke. I know it's crazy. People doing the same thing with like energy drinks. And it was just like, you kind of stuff your bag and you hear like the can just pop, you know, you're uh-huh. sitting on like floor of the library you hear, and then everyone looks like up. A and fiend. People, uh-huh. But the thing is you had people like, do you have an extra one? Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of course. Everyone, everybody, everybody, they knew. That's like selling cigarettes in a boarding school. <laughs> For real. It was just like, everyone's like, where'd you get it? <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's different now. They do sell caffeinated beverages now on campus. So they've kind of become a little more lax, lax, I guess, in that sense. (laughs) So uh, the last thing I'm going to ask, you know, obviously the document had a bunch of things. Most eye-opening is the fact that, like, black kids are discounted in the adoption kind of business. Yeah. uh, In the sense that they say, basically, uh, the darker you get, the cheaper the baby. Um, But... That was that was eye opening, and I didn't even know how to process that. Uh, but I wanted to ask everyone to go around the room and ask everybody, what's the most racist thing you heard in this in this documentary? Because I have one that I was just like, really? Uh, was go ahead. I don't I don't I don't have one off the top of my head. Um, but I'm I'm very interested in hearing 
your favorite because I because <laughs> there was a, <laughs> there was some moments. I, I'm I'm curious to see what's yours though. Trey, what what you got? Oh, the discount because he was a half. Oh my god! Yeah, he's like it should have been more expensive because he a quarter Filipino. But and then and then probably the pool, the pool scenario where she couldn't find her own kid because all black kids were in the pool playing together. I won't lie, I laughed at that part. No, I, I cackled for sure because I, I cackled through a couple of them. I was just kind of like, oh my god, like this is really like even even when he he was sharing the cup with his with his adopted dad. I'm just like, bro, go put some oh, yeah, shoes yeah. on. Like you, oh, yeah. you just like, out bro, here bro. looking. You out here looking Bama as hell, little boy. Like you yeah, gonna be I'm so right lost with. when you turn 18, 20 years old. Thinking Lisa. them, thinking the white people love you like that, bro. Lisa, what what you got? What was like the the thing that you just floored you? It it was that with the discounting, you know. But like I said, none of it surprised me. You know, I I think the other piece, the other part that. Again, it was well-intentioned is this idea that, like, everyone's a child of God, you know, and it, it's very in line with kind of all lives matter, <laughs> right? Yes. I was like, no, we all are the same. Um, it, it was just painful to watch a lot of the invalidation because it's not – that that's not something that just black kids in Utah experience. That's something that every black person in Utah right. experiences, um, you know, and – I, I think it's there's that. I think also, you know, they talked about Brigham Young, you know, that as well. And there, that's something I've noticed here within the state. I mean, most people I've talked to have never heard about that. And it's kind of attributed people. If you do bring it up, and it's like, no, 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 don't tell me that. That's just anti Mormon literature. I'm like, it's literally not. It's in the church in, handbooks right it's now. It's in the Mormon literature. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, if you, like, you can actually go to the church website and find all the things you want. I discovered half of them on the BYU website, you know? And so there's all these things that it just, it, it was very eye opening to me. It, not eye opening. I think I should say that like the things that I suspected were kind of confirmed. And I think that was what was difficult and kind of seeing the history of kind of erasure in a sense, right. Where people don't, people don't know about things like Brigham Young or others because you can kind of tell this story of, you know, kind of the white savior in a sense of like, see, well, we did get rid of the policy and everyone is, you know, the same. And, you know, you tell all these things, but then that is a chance for the people who are alive now that maybe are younger part of the younger generations. They're not being taught on any of those things. So to them, it never happened. So I don't know. It, that aspect of it is just was kind of difficult because it's these are the same arguments that I feel like I've been having. I mean, I've got this is it might be a different, it's kind of a tangent, but just kind of on, you know, the topic of, of erasure, I think. Um, so there was a guy that I, I dated a couple years ago and it was frustrating because I constantly, I'd bring up situations that I experienced or even we'd be out to lunch and I'm like, did your doctor just hear what he said? And he's like, well, I don't get it. And, you know, I try to explain and, you know, and, and was, you know, when you're dating someone who isn't black, you do, you explain and, you know, and, and hope that they're understanding. A lot of explaining goes on. Right. <laughs> but the hard thing in this situation is almost every single time I was invalidated, I was being told, well, no, no, you took that out of context or that's not what they meant. I'm like, okay, well, their intentions don't redeem them. It doesn't mean that it hurts any less, you know? Um, and that one time we were on a drive going up to like Park City um, and he says to me, and I'm bringing some of these things up because I'm just floored. Something happened earlier that day. And he goes, yeah, but like, you know, you don't really identify as black though. So like, why should it really matter to you? 
I'm like, what do you mean I don't identify as black? I'm like, I don't look in the mirror and decide, you know what? I'm white. <laughs> That's not how things work. And he's like, no, no. He's like, you know what I mean? I'm like, no, I don't. Like, you need to tell me. He's like, well, you know, you're, you're just not really like them. So <laughs> I was like, wait, Right. And, and you know, what's interesting is I've had a couple of friends, they've sent me some. You're not angry. <laughs> right. You don't sit around eating black eyed peas every day. <laughs> oh, man. You know, but this is the same guy that while I dated him, you know, kind of fetishized me of like excited to kiss a black girl or, you know, of highlighting certain things about my body. And, you know, then I've had in the last few weeks, I've had some friends have sent some screenshots of some things he's kind of, you know, has tweeted and it's been, you know what, I, this is such a great opportunity for us to learn. And I'm going to read a book from a black author every single week, you know, and all these things. And I died when I saw it because I'm like, you know what, what makes him think that if he could not listen to the voice that came out of the mouth that he chose to kiss or be intimate with, what makes him think that he's going to get it listening to you know, complete Langston strangers Gallagher. reading books until he will never meet. Like, what? How is he gonna get it? You know, it's like if you weren't willing to get it from the person you were most intimate with, how are you gonna get it from complete Listen, strangers? No, no more symbolic victories. We off that NBA. Whoever it is, I don't, I don't want to change the master bedroom. I don't want Yo, nothing painted on the floor. Even, gotta miss me, bro. Those aren't even symbolic victories. Those are just like, yo, but, but well, they think so. About, the Jersey Bossy, idea that shit is. Bossy was talking about it. He was like, yo, I can't even, yo, you won't rent to people. Like, there's all types of housing discrimination. Yeah, black people, black people in the housing discrimination is just crazy. But we're going to change the name to Master Bedroom. Yeah, bro. oh, thank you. Oh, like, oh, 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 this is like, the thing that was keeping me up at night. <laughs> They upcharge you when you live in a white neighborhood. You usually pay a higher rent than your white neighbors do. Um, you, it, it's hard as shit to get a loan to purchase a home. Yep. Like at every single turn, you're getting screwed over. But yes, you know, change the name of the the biggest, the <laughs> mass bed. Cool. Uh, it always reminds me of the, the, the family. They canceled on Jemima. Hey, it always reminds me of the Family Guy episode. Where uh, it's like this is more awkward than the end of slavery, and it's a black dude with chains and a white dude, like with the key unlocks it and the chains come off. And black dude's rubbing his wrist. He's like, white dude's like, so we cool now, right? <laughs> uh, my my uh, the most racist thing I thought was the dude who was talking about his experiences in high school, the kids that ran up on him wearing KKK robes who got a half-day suspension for it. I didn't know that you could be suspended for half a day. I mean, what is that? That means you got to school late or you got to go home early? That yeah, sounds, I mean, that you, sounds like you for sure, You for sure going to school at, at noon. Oh, my God. That's, that's amazing, right? And the other thing they did to him was they grabbed all his textbooks and they drew him hanging from a tree in all his textbooks. He goes to the principal's office, slams the books down, and the principal's office calls the cops, and he's thinking, finally, we're going to have an investigation. We're going to take this thing seriously, and realizes the cops are there for him. That, to me, I mean, that's, like, even beyond. I mean, if I saw that in a movie, I would be like, nah, man, America ain't that racist. Like, I was like, nah, I can't be that bad. But, yo, man, that's, that, that really floored me. 
Yeah, there's a lot of examples. Um, I've, I've, I've talked to some people um, that, you know, actually it was a week ago. He's a lawyer, um, an education lawyer. Um, he, he told me about an experience that happened. It was in 2011 at one of the high schools here. High school assembly, a couple kids show up and, you know, only around this kid with, you know, hooded masks, you know, um, and it was, you know, other, other students that noticed and said something and this kid decided to write a blog post about it. It got a lot of attention and, you know, the parents did the whole, well, you know, they're just, you know, they're just being teenagers and, (laughs) you know, it was just a bad choice. And so everyone will make an excuse for it, but these things are, they're common. They happen all the time. It's, it's, and like I said, when you have like, you know, a lot of parents, a lot of it's just a bunch of white parents. That's it. So no one's going to actually stand up for it. I don't understand the part where you excuse your kids for doing some crazy racist things for two reasons. One, you should be appalled and have the idea that I'm going to punish my kid worse than any punishment you guys could think of. That's one. Two, more importantly, where the hell do you think they learned that from? Right? Like if a six-year-old calls another six-year-old in kindergarten a, a nigger, that they didn't. I'm pretty sure that wasn't like in the curriculum or at the playground. They heard it the first time. They heard it from someone grown up around them, and what? so that, that that was the that's the thing about if you're white and you're listening to this and you you ever make excuses for people. That's that's what we're thinking basically. Like well. You know, and it's interesting that you say that too. Like I've had a lot of friends, you know, they've got young kids and, you know, they're asking me all the time, like, I don't know how to talk about this with my kid. I'm like, actually, it should be really easy to talk about your kid. I'm like, first of all, if black kids can figure it out, like your white kids (laughs) can figure it out too. Um, But the other thing is I heard too, uh, one way was put is that kids, you know, from once they're able to comprehend anything, it's being drilled into their head about justice. You know, this is what's fair. This is what's not fair. You have to share, you know, they're being taught all these things that you need to like treat everybody the same. And so throughout their, you know, what, as they become adults, they unlearn that, you know? And so I'm like, your kid will pick up justice more than anyone else. (laughs) I I don't think they unlearn it. I think they learn that it applies to certain people and it doesn't apply to other people. Right. Which is, part of the dehumanization process, right? It's like all people are created equal. What about them? Oh, they're not people. So we can treat them like that. Uh, Lisa, thank you so much for joining. That was fantastic, Lisa. Thank you so much. This has been very enlightening. And, you know, uh, best of luck to you. (laughs) I I feel like you got to go back out there, go back to battle. And, (laughs) but, you know, you always got us over here. We got your back. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. No problem. Talk to you later, Yeah. Hey, Trey. Yo, what's up? You been working out, man, in this uh, COVID shutdown period? Uh, A little bit. Yeah, little push-ups, little kind of go out for a run and stuff like that? Yep. Are you prepared to unveil your summer bod, though? Yeah, kind of on the hairy side. Oh, man. Trey, (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned that because I've got just the thing for you. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Don't be the guy out in public with a bear rug on your chest. And if you grew some quarantine man tits, the least you can do is make sure they're hairless. It's a little aggressive. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, it's funny because I don't, I haven't cut my hair. I haven't been to a barber one time uh, since 
since the lockdown happened, since before the lockdown happened. I haven't shaved. I haven't trimmed my beard. I haven't trimmed my mustache. I look like a crazy man. And when people see me, they're always like, oh, my God, when's the last time you got your hair cut? And I said, I haven't cut any hair on me since before the you know, since the, before the pandemic shut down. And then I have to correct myself because I have cut hair on me. My nether regions using my Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 kit. That's right. It's a lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and ton of other liquid formulations to round out my manscaping routine. I use it all. I am from the neck down, trim, clean, ready for action, ready for whenever the shutdown is over. There is no adjustment period for my body because thanks to Manscaped, I'm doing great. This is the best trimmer on the market. For those of you in need of a chest shave, that's not me, but people like Tom Havistro for sure. This third generation trimmer features skin safe, skin safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. Don't give yourself an accidental nipple piercing. You can also adjust settings to get a length you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. You can even trim an arrow pointing to the promised land if you're bold enough. I am not, and also I don't have that enough to so I don't have enough chest hair for that. Be sure to use their crop cleanser to keep your hair and skin healthy. It's an all-in-one formula, so it's as good for healthy chest hair as it is for your skin. Uh, there's anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer called the Manscaped Crop Preserver. We know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. You also find the Crop Reviver, a testy toner that's designed to give you a pep in your step. Subscribe to the Perfect Package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, which is a $39 value add, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. By the way, I don't know if you guys got this. I got a gift from Manscaped the other day, the nose hair trimmer. And let me tell you right now, I didn't know I had a nose hair problem until I turned that trimmer on and went bzz, 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 and it was like raining hair out my nose. Manscaped has all the solutions for all your personal grooming needs and you can get all of that 20% off plus free shipping with the code BOM at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BOM at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BOM. Trim your testicles. Trim your chesticles with the besticles. Next up, we got Jerv has been hard at work, ladies and gentlemen. He's done the job that nobody wanted to do. I know because I asked like three times and nobody volunteered for it. But Jerv, you stood up for the culture. You said, I'm going to sit in on this fab versus kiss versus battle, which the first question I asked you was, did it start on time? And automatically, we already had a big discussion about that. Nah, like, I, I don't even know what Trey's talking about. That thing did not start till like 820, 825 on, on, on IG. I don't care about Spotify. I don't care about Apple Music, Apple TV. I watch on IGTV. It didn't start till about 820, 825 on IGTV. So, Trey, like... You said they had it on multiple platforms at the same time? Yeah, so when I went there at 5, I'm just kind of like, okay, what's going on? I'm refreshing, I'm like going like crazy, then I'm checking Twitter, and then people have it up on their Apple Music. Well, they didn't give us a memo saying, hey, 
go to Apple Music or go there or do this. You know what I mean? Like we've been watching everything from Versus since day one. Yeah. Everybody wants to get creative and send somebody to their website or do all this other, which I'm sure it has some type of little certain streams where they earn some type of revenue, whatever. Good for them. Just stick with what works. Like Rob said, these millionaires not being able to run something correctly is just driving me up a wall. But uh, long story short, on the ground, in the trenches, Jerv, how was it? Or how is it? It's still see it. So <laughs> it's uh it's still going on. Uh they're at song 18 right now. And um Kiss said, you know, this is the appetizer, we're gonna go to 30. So, you know, that's what they're I, saying. I Kiss don't is, even think I want 30 of that. I don't want 30. Well, I don't you guys are smoking something crazy because this has actually been a dope battle. Okay, so so like give us what so, the no, no. have been. It's hey. just that Fab is getting washed. Fab all I heard, getting, all I heard was Fab getting washed. So how is that dope? Because, all right. <laughs> so it's dope because Kiss got the first 10 and Kiss was just hitting him with everything. Like all that, like B-side locks, all that uh, We Are The Streets, all that type stuff. And then right. Kit Fab was like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to give some mixtape stuff. So that was dope. It's just that Kiss songs are bigger and they're better. So he destroyed them the first 10. But then Fab comes back in the second 10 where he's controlling the narrative and he's hitting them with all like the the smashes. Super bangers. Yeah. All uh, back young and. Yeah. uh, What's the the New Year's Eve song? Oh, uh, Ball Drop. Ball Drop. Like he's playing all the, all the, he just played Little Mo. My nigga, he played Killing Them. To, to back up off of Benjamin's? No, this is the, that's the second ten. So he played killing them first, and then Kiss came back came and was like, "You got Ooh, way but, more shit than killing them, bro." I'm the sorry. The thing is, is the Kiss didn't even play his verse off Benjamin's. He played Puff's verse off Benjamin. That, that he, he wrote. wrote that verse. Because yeah. he wrote it. He's actually <laughs> played, he played um, Victory Puff's verse off Victory also. And then he did the one thing that was though he did a um, you, you know he he's sauce kisses sauce by the way he, <laughs> he, he, he starts basically like he emphasizes the um, what was that song well you know I would have hit you I would I would have smacked you with the burner but I knew you sue like yeah, he's he's <laughs> emphasizing as he's saying he's, so it he's, right so he's disempuffed <laughs> on the verses <laughs> then he goes to it's a story I didn't know y'all might know it um, can I live the black rap song yeah okay so apparently. According to Saucy Kiss, and he says Puff will co-sign it, Black Rob will co-sign it. That's, that's a lock song. It, whatever label they were on, it was the lock yeah. song first. He ain't even playing We Gonna Make It Yet. This shit's not close. No, nah, he, he doesn't have to. He's, he, he's smashing it. So, he's so, so how is that ahead. fun, though? I don't it's understand. dope because Fab is still playing good songs. It's just that I think people really forget how, like, first of all, how many years Kiss has in the game? Oh, no, and, Fab won't let us forget. <laughs> I mean, listen. He won't and, let and, us forget, my nigga. He won't retire so niggas can actually oh, give I'm him saying, the flowers. I'm saying kiss, like kiss, like kiss. People really forget how 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 nice kiss is and how many I don't know, man. Kiss. My timeline was different. Niggas was Team Jada Kiss from the jump. I just never forgave the nigga for the Jumpman clock, that Nintendo cartridge hairline. You don't, you don't like the Jumpman clock? No, I that love shit the was awful. Actually, that's that was probably, that, that was probably oh, easily the corniest shit ever. Oh, and then oh, also the nigga eats. Pizza yeah, with nothing was, in the inside. That's not nah, live. Man. That's not live. I was, I was going to I like, make clock. <laughs> oh, man. You, you niggas. Is, yeah, man. Oh, like, can I do that? Be a whole like, what, what, five what, 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 what
Huh? Yeah. No, but the, the, yeah, the Nintendo cartridge hairline was. I think, like, the worst part about it is, man, like, Kiss had hair this whole time, man. And the dude just decided to, to get a cut, like, off the rip. I don't know. Philly Barber, too, by the way. Do you, do you, uh, do you think, all right, so, so, Jerv, having watched it, do you yeah. think there is a universe where Fab could have beaten Kiss given the songs that Kiss picked? Or was it like, it just, it wasn't going to happen. Well, it wasn't going to happen because Fab played his smashes. He played the, 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 his crossover songs, the songs that everybody right. knows, right? He played those well, in Kiss. Into Kiss. You and all that stuff. Yeah. Listen, and Kiss him play with Six Minutes of Death. He played it all. He played, but I'm he just saying, I mean, he went hard early on. His first two, he bombed right. first. With the with the heavy loaded shit with Cass and the le, le, heavy yeah. loaded shit with Wheezy, and it was like, what are you doing? I would have nah. went a Millie freestyle. Like he got so much shit, bro. From there's no competition. Like it's exhausting yeah. watching that nigga. Even I can't believe the... I wanted to be like that nigga. <laughs> Yo, he didn't even hit him with my. They hit my man with the thirteen to thirty one. Like it was Nash to Marion. I was hurt like Stoudemire. No, I never forget when that freestyle dropped. I was like. We're playing this shit in the locker room. <laughs> oh, man. But, but you know what's crazy? He could play all that stuff. And the way Kiss has it set up is is basically... And the DJs are going at it, too. So if he plays any of that, those smash, um, like, freestyles or old right. joints, Kiss is going to play his smash, you know, like, You'll See or something like that. Like, So I, I really don't think there's any way Fab could have beat Kiss. The catalog was too deep. Yeah, catalog Kiss, was too catalog deep. is too so crazy. You said, you said Kiss started freestyling at one point, right? Well, I thought it was. I, I thought it was. He might have said something I haven't heard before, but no, he. Uh, they just started. They, they got extra sauce and decided to rap their songs. And then Fab lost at that because if anyone's ever seen Fab perform, he's absolutely the worst oh, rapper to ever go yeah. see live. He's don't don't don't. Jerv, he left all this he's on the low table. Energy like Jeb Bush. We gonna make it. We belong together. Remix, Honey Remix, Jenny from the Block. If you think I'm Jiggy, like. That nigga yeah. could go. Uh, that nigga could come. Yeah. He could come back around. He could lap him. He could lap him. <laughs> did he, did it, he play best of he, me? No. But he he, he got see, room. Yeah, Listen, he got so much breathing room because the whole version is so much crazier. It don't matter though. when you, you got when you got around. You could take off or two. You could just say, "All right, got this off." Nah, Kiss hasn't taken a round off at all. Literally, beat his motherfucking ass from Yon Christian Brooks. <laughs> It's just a unanimous decision. Kiss won that joint. Hands down. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, ah, that's messed up. I would have thought Fab would have done better, man. I, 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 you know, I had high hopes you know what, for Fab. You know what's funny? It's like, let me ask y'all this. What is your, your philosophy on the battles, the versus battles? Because I would have thought the guy who goes album cuts, mixtape cuts, is going to lose. And the guy who has... The songs that, for lack of a better way to put it, the songs that the girls all love and know by heart. That guy's always going to win. And if you told me, compare the two guys without thinking about it. I know you just named a bunch of tracks, uh, Trey, that made me think, oh, you know what? He's got a point. But like just off the top of my head, I was like, no, Fab definitely has the girls in the club demographic on lock in a way that kisses baggy jeans and and Tim's and, and stuff like that. But, you know, so what is the philosophy? Like, what is the perfect strategy to win a battle? So to ask, me, you got to play with what people know. So he, he's a professional. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, I think you got to you got to play what people know you for. 
because if because Jada, he's known for the grimy records. He's not really known as he has singles. He's got big songs that have crossed over and charted and did all of that. But he's known for stuff like World War Three or you know different kind of shit like that. So like to me, I, like if you play with what people know you for. Basically, what makes you you? I think that's that's how you win. You know what I'm saying? Like Fab is known for having big records, um, girl records. So he should lean into that and play those. And he's known for the freestyle stuff. Oh, he's playing the girl records. He's just getting he's losing. That's what I'm saying. Like he's losing at that. It's, it's like the that, that surprises me. So I mean, my strategy would be the fact that they had a preset list and that the DJs are kind of just rocking it. It's kind of a lose lose versus that versus reading the room and be like, okay, right. he countered with that. Let me play right. this. Instead of right, him telling right. them like, yo, play this instead of whatever. You should know your list and you can counter. He said it's up for failure because Kiss already had a list. Like, so you know, already scripted, scripted Because Eric 20. and Jeff already had leaked, told him to play victory and all that other shit. But like, I'm sure he had a whole long line of the shit. But like, again, whether he pressed play and never told the DJ to do anything, he was going to win that because... Fab was just playing a bunch of just shit that he personally liked, probably that he liked creating. Like you can't play like so trade, it all, trade it all is a big record, but you can't follow that up with some shit not like in a, not in a battle. Not in a battle. Like <laughs> that's battle. that's towards your end when you know you win it, and you could be like, all right, play trade it all. Also, no. I think the 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 fact that they're both live and in person, um, you know, hurts Fab. You sh- yeah, because he he can't perform. You know what I mean? Like you should be performing your songs and, and and enjoying yourself instead of just like letting the record play. Right. Wow. You play um, that, you make me wanna. I wanna I wanna I want us to do another one of those battles. Um our own version. I keep going back to the three six versus uh what would y'all do? Three six versus cash money, three six versus no limit, three six versus. I would say no what? limit because cash money is not even fair. This yeah, is just yeah, too much. Yeah. It's too much cash money. Um, I would I would probably say no limit. Would y'all Would y'all want to do that? I'm with it. I'm with What'd it. What'd you say? I three six versus do. cash money. I would love to. Why not? I guess no limit. I guess no limit. Excuse me. No that. limit. What, I'm, you, I'm, why, I'm off that specific match. Why? Why? On what part? The three six part or the no limit part? It's not close. Not between those two. It's not close. No. It's not close for who? No limit. When you factor in bro, all that, no, nah, bro. Three. I think. I think you're cool. you're because three six catalog. No, I'm is not saying that. I'm not saying that three six is like not tough. It's dead. Everything. It's the juicy J catalog. Bro, no <laughs> limit got like fucking four albums. Project Pat. All right, give me no juicy limit. Juicy J still Fuck rocking. It. No, okay. no. I'm signing myself up who, for this one. Who's taking three six? Who's gonna adopt three six on this one? Go, Jerv. You love them so much. Go, oh, no, nigga. I, I, you I, I, went to college. That. Them niggas help raise you. Go for it. Tear them I clubs want, up, thug niggas. Look, I, I want to do it. I want to do it because I believe at 3-6. But my problem is, this is why I asked the question, what's the strategy for play these battles? Play nigga. Because if I play... No, but in my <laughs> mind, I'm like, if I play all the songs that I know, like, will that be too... Like, what song is this, nigga? Like... Play chicken head, nigga. Go for it. I'm going to play some shit. Chicken, chicken. Play some shit, nigga. Ball head, scallywags. Ain't got no hair in fact. Come on, man. That's fine, bro. Fuck with that Pat album. I choose you. Make them say, um. The original international player. These and I choose you. Anything off Ghetto Dope. MP The Last Dime. Mystical. Nigga, Unpredictable. Come on. Snoop Dogg. Like, nigga, I got too many options. Mac. 
Soldier Slim. Hey, Come you, on, bro. Listen, man. Skull Duggery. I can keep going. Silver Shocker C. You can keep going. But here's the thing. We learned in the first battle between you and Waz that having too big of a catalog can be a detriment. Actually, I end up winning on my next battle. And I learned against from that Wells? battle. Yes. So who did you have who did you have against Wells? Wait. It was uh it was the R and B battle though. Oh, but, but just in general, it's it still hard. But what was it? But what was it? What oh, was it? It was just uh, '90s R&B. Oh, you guys just went like, just you play twenty, I but, play twenty. But the fact that I have that much range is a similar to No Limit. Like I feel Got like I, I can kind of okay. play because you're gonna be like, ah, I, I like that. Like I remember that. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Like versus your shit is like you have a more personal. You and Jerv have a more personal relationship to Three Six because it's a story behind it. Yes. That's, and that's why I and that's why I said the same thing yeah. about Bone because I can relate to a story behind it. So that's why I think we back those. But like they're not really good. If we're gonna go record companies, we have to be like. So who would be a good Rough one for Riders versus? Like the Rock, no, no, no. The Rock can't be in there. The Rock can't be in there with, with Rough Riders. Don't, but say, if don't we go, say it. but if we go, Rough Riders did some shit though. Let me say this. What about Rough Riders versus The Rock, but DMX and Jay-Z got to sit out? Oh. That would be Eve, Dragon, The Locks, uh, versus Seagull, Cam. <laughs> I ain't Memphis liking Bleak. that, bro. I ain't Bleak. liking that one either. That the ain't Rock fair. Is, yeah, The Rock is smacking them fair. in the head. The Rock is smacking them in the head. Smacking them in the head again. That ain't fair. <laughs> that ain't fair, bro. I ain't gonna lie. All right, Which how about this? Yeah. Death Row. Uh-huh. Versus Bad Boy. Like that's the only fair one. Okay, Death Row Bad Boy. Oh, we're gonna do that one. I'm with that one. So that's that's that'll that'll be I'm fire. With that one. Wa- that'll be Waz, fire. do you do you want to hold the Bad Boy crown? I, 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 shit, man. That's that's my era. That's what I came of age okay. in, bro. All right, so then we'll, we'll set it up. We'll figure out a date for this. We're gonna the next one we're gonna do is Bad Boy versus Death Row. There might be some feelings hurt after this one. <laughs> Hey, you niggas get jiggy. Nah, that'll be super Go fun. That'll be fire. Oh my god, that's a that's a catalog oh, and a half gosh. right there. It's that's gonna be so much Bro, because sure you either go can to the go. athletic and check out the interview I did with the DOC. Oh yeah, legendary member of NWA, founded Death Row with with yeah. Dre and 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 um Suge, um you know wrote on countless hits, yeah. classic albums, Doggy Style, Chronic you- 2001, The Regular Chronic. Um, Easy's album, um, the 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 first two NWA, like he just he killed it. He he did he's you, a legend. Did you do the interview via text or was it an no, email? No, via um Instagram Live. He did Instagram Live. Oh, oh Instagram Live. So yeah, that's did, on the athletics were there, page. Were there captions, subtitles? Relax. No, oh now is it too soon? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Relax. No, he can I'm done. Listen, I'm done. no, bro. I'm he can done. he can talk, my man. I'm done. I'm God done. damn. I'm done. Without the Let's wrap this up. Let's wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> Yo. This has, been, this has been Black See, Opinions Matter, motherfucker. My name's Amino Hassan. Thank you to Black Trade. Thank you to Big Wild. Thank you to Big Jerv. Thank you to our special guest, Lisa. Thank you to Rob Lopez for being on the production. As always, remember, you can check out all of our pods. Naima's Wednesday service, our newest pod, it dropped last week. We're so excited about that. Please listen to her stuff, download her stuff, because... Yeah, we're really excited about that. Woke Bros on Thursdays is coming out with Waz and uh, and Mike. Uh, and then 
on the Cinephobe feed. Cinephobe is relaunched. Cinephobe has its own feed. And this Wednesday, man, I'm really excited about this one. The one and only Stu Gatz joins me and Zach Harper as we review Tango and Cash. This has been Black Opinions Matter. Stay black.